Hey guys, it's Edge Martinez. They call me the voice of New York. And 50 years ago, hip hop started right here in New York City. And we're celebrating the five boroughs all year long. Check out nyctourism.com forward slash hip hop for cultural stories, events, interviews, and more. nyctourism.com forward slash hip hop. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Thanks so much for listening to the Go Long podcast. I wanted to share another one of our happy hours. Uh, This was definitely happy hours, as in plural, Eric Kramer. God, what can you say? Uh, The former NFL quarterback has been through it all. I've I've never run across anything quite like this, from the depression to the suicide attempt to surviving that attempt to, you know, it taken five years for his brain to basically flicker back to normal and and him being abused by a legal system and by an ex-girlfriend all along the way. So hopefully you've had a chance to read our three-part series at Go Long. It's it's free and open for all to read at this point, golongtd.com. And also just because it's so, so important, I just thought we'd also share um, the time that Eric and his close friend, Anna Durgan, spent with subscribers on last week's happy hour here in the podcast format. So if you'd like to join these happy hours, as always, you can subscribe to Go Long anytime. Get every story, feature, profile, Q&A, what have you, right in your email inbox when you subscribe. Seven bucks a month, 70 a year. We greatly, greatly appreciate your support uh, to make this happen. I mean, you guys are really the ones who make this go. So thank you. Without further ado, here is the happy hours with Eric Kramer. We'll, we'll probably have a few more trickle in here, but uh, Eric, That's- great to see you again, man. I forgot about the nice background you have there for the podcast. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> oh man, go long, TD. Yes, we gotta we gotta get Love you it. some gear. It goes right. for everybody here. Um, man, well, it's awesome to see you, talk to you again, and I'm sure a lot of folks in here uh, they probably read our stories up and go long and then yeah, no, no, so. no one way or another, but I wouldn't be doing you justice if I try to like, you know, sum it all up here in right. a couple quick minutes, but <laughs> I got to say, man, talking to a lot of players, I've never run across anything remotely similar to what you've been through. Not just, not just like, you know, in the job talking to people around the NFL, but in life in general, consuming any form of media right. ever. It's, it's surreal. I, I can't believe what it's been like to, to live it this past, what, 10, 11 years. So, you know, in your words, I guess, you know, before we get it rolling here, this is just like a free flowing conversation. I mean, people will just kind of jump in and I'm, I'm sure they'll have questions and stuff, but um, it's a pretty cool thing you do, yeah. by the way. Oh, th- thanks so much. And, and, and I haven't even done it yet, but just the idea <laughs> of it, it sounds pretty, pretty awesome. It, it's just a cool way for us to try to, you know, get some folks around the league, you know, talking to fans and everything, but um, in, in your words, Eric, like what, how do you even sum it up? You know what I mean? Like what you've been through right. um, from about what, 2011 on, or you know, start wherever you'd like. Yeah. Um, well, like you said, there's, I guess no way to sum it up um, other than, um, you know, like 
losing, when you go back to 2011, that morning I woke up to a phone call from the sheriff's department and they asked me to come down, but wouldn't tell me what it was for. Um, you know, that, that was my first clue that this wasn't good. And, um, and I remember the steps walking up and the guy met me outside and, uh, you know, kind of drive the drive, the five minute drive it was, was a long five minutes. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, later that morning, so Griffin, Dylan, excuse me, Dylan, um, at the time, Dylan, my other son, Dylan was 13. So they're about five years apart. And um, Dylan had been staying over, uh, sleeping over a friend's house, who I was also friends with the dad. And, um, so I remember um, getting in the car, getting in the police car and um, driving over to the house where Griffin was. And I remember, uh, I remember sitting in the kitchen of the house. So the mom was home and the son was home. And the mom was actually someone that was in the Al-Anon parent meeting group I would go to on Monday nights. And her son was there and her son was talking about how he was a friend of Griffin's and that he was just, uh, you know, he liked hanging out with his friends and he was uh, just, you know, hanging out that night. Yeah. And this friend of mine, Chris German, that was in the story, um, at the time he was still working for Los Angeles Sheriff's Department. And Chris had come over because um, I didn't call him, but he showed up. And I'm gonna guess it was somebody at his station that told him. And um, so he was sitting there with me at the kitchen table. And so, uh, and, and I still hadn't, they weren't, no one was allowing me to go back in there just yet. And eventually, uh, uh, you know, so I was separated at the time. So we were living in two different houses. Well, eventually Marshawn, who's now my ex-wife, she showed up and we go back into this room and it was this kid's bedroom. So Dylan, Griffin, excuse me, was, um, I think he was lying face up. And uh, that's the first uh, dead person, dead body I'd ever seen. Um, and it just happened to be Griffin. And uh, so, yeah, that was a really weird time, which Ultimately, there was an investigation, and it turns out that that kid was actually the one who injected Griffin. Oh my God! And apparently, Griffin didn't had a thing against injecting himself, so this kid injected Griffin into his toes, and then he had an immediate reaction, like we, you know, like you just go backward and. Um, foaming at the mouth and everything. And so this kid drove around 
apparently, this is from the detective. This kid was driving around um, panicking and calling friends of his that were all telling him, take Griffin to the hospital. And he never did. And what he did was he took him home. And he took him home. So to get him out of the car, Griffin was either already dead or there was no life to him. So he would have had to drag him into his house and apparently laid him down and eventually left and went to another party. So Griffin died by himself in this kid's bedroom. Somehow that kid didn't tell that story that morning. And he didn't go to jail. He got probation. And, uh, you know, now I think they made a law where you can't, you cannot be, if you're with somebody who's, who's ODing like Griffin, if you yourself were participating, you cannot, you cannot go to jail in any way if you were to somehow take him to a hospital. Because that that's what that kid, I can guarantee you, that's what he was thinking. Yeah. And so that's 2011. And so that's kind of when life ended a little bit, not just for Griffin, but, you know, at that time, um, I had coached both kids' teams and, and it was October 30th. So the season um, was, had just ended. And, um, but at the time I was also broadcasting, sports broadcasting, and um, I was coaching a bunch of quarterbacks and receivers and a passing camp and was traveling a little bit for that too. And yeah, all that ended. So, um, Anyway, that, that's, that was a, a big bump in the road for sure. I mean, and your mom, and you find out about your dad. I mean, yeah. it was this avalanche of just the worst news you could possibly get as a human being. Right? Yeah, and it just, right. just kind of sent you to this, well, I think you call well, it like this uh, empty sadness. Right, right. Well, prior, prior to Griffin passing away, um, I, there was um, earlier the year before, so in 2010 on Mother's Day, um, Dylan and I and my, uh, my mom's husband, we'd gone golfing. And at the end of that day, she and I sit around and we're having lunch afterward, just the two of us. And I'm walking out of the car and she's like, you know, I gotta, I'm going to be getting some tests back tomorrow. I'm like, test for what? Oh, you know, nothing. Just, I don't know. I haven't been feeling all that good lately. So it came back and it was like the next day, it was stage four uterine cancer. So, and it was weird because, um, you know, it's not like my mom and I were all that close growing up. And, and it was, but this sort of sent things in a little different direction for a while. And, um, you know, I'd take her to her, uh, but she'd have chemo, you know, and um, so I, she was at, uh, I think it was Tarzana Hospital or something, Northridge Hospital or whatever, in Tarzana, and uh, 
she'd stay overnight, you know, and so I'd stay with her. And you know, those chairs that kind of, it's a chair, but then it does this later. So that's what I'd sleep on. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd bring a massage table over every now and then. And, you know, so, and I'd drive her whatever she would, she got some of her stuff down at Cedars and down over in, in the LA area. And so I'd drive her to that and stuff. And so she had to go through some wicked uh, surgery that where they removed like a bunch of organs or part of organs or whatever. And she somehow like that was kind of not looking good at all, but she survived that. And then, um, yeah, after, so Griffin's thing happened uh, before that, before she passed away. And in fact, it was not long after Griffin passed away that I get a knock on my door and it's Courtney Baird. And um, so that started sort of, a, it went from an acquaintance where I'd met her once or twice throughout the years because she I was, I was friends with her brother. She was the younger sister of Dave Baird. And um, so that's how I at least knew her. And then um, as, like I said, that developed into something eventually that was, you know, like, I guess you would consider us boyfriend and girlfriend. But even along the way there, in looking back, there were some things there that were fraudulent. Yeah. You know, so she was in a house that she was saying that she was paying rent to her brother cash, which I came to find out she wasn't. Like her brother was basically paying for that for her. And I think it was her brother's ex-wife, that's now her ex-wife, that basically, you know, told her to get out. And uh, it's just, it, but the reason I bring this up is because when my mom was in her final stages, Courtney was around and part of that. And like, I, I remember talking to my aunt Patrice about this and I said, what, what did my mom think back then? And she's like, well, your mom in one way, I think felt like Courtney was a bit of a gold digger. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that was before any theft. So um, anyway, so this, you're right. This is sort of a bizarre twisted tale. Um, but I guess one way to say it now is that because of people like you and some other things that have, have gone on behind the scenes, um, I've been approached by not only you and other, you not only with this, um, with this article, but in other ways too. And then here someone comes along, wants to write a book and where, where, I, where I think and Anna have, have thought all along, you know, an investigative reporter piece that's backed mm -hmm. with some hefty resources behind it could help reveal, you know, like I said, Courtney's kind of a speck in the ointment. Yeah. What she did is she revealed that the ointment's bad. Right. 
and so um and, and when i say bad it's really bad um not just for me and so uh that's why i'm hoping that you know it's been all these years right just since i've been in it and i just got the, the reason i'm late into this thing is because i was on the phone with my aunt and again telling her you know you you say it's been long for me but it really hasn't because mentally i only jumped in this game about a year or two ago and but for you guys for anna for you for dylan for friends of mine that are just for what you guys had to sit and watch and go through i hope i'm not saying can you say can you kind of say anything on here oh god yeah okay because <laughs> i i what it feels like to me is it feels like sorry if this comes out wrong but it feels like i've i'm being i was being raped and everyone that that was around me had to watch it mm -hmm. and it's interesting now i guess it feels good now that people like anna and eventually dylan and patrice and um that the payoff for them is that not just Courtney go down, because that's a given, but that this whole system of, I don't know what you call it, other than corruption, um, that it gets revamped and gets called out. There's judges, there's lawyers, there's, it's crazy. And I'm not talking just the conservative court system, criminal one. No doubt. I'm sure we, got a lot of folks in here would love to ask you some some questions so i'm gonna just shut up here it's it's just insane what you've been through from the depression i like to the backdrop the, on your what is that a deck Have yeah you? yeah i was Pretty saying cool. to to Anna and these guys um we've got a a baby girl that's going to bed so to be safe right remove right. myself from everybody <laughs> <laughs> yeah cool but yeah anybody in here uh have a question i mean it's eric is about as transparent of a dude, you know, as, as you'll find on this planet through through everything. I appreciate that as a rising journalist, as I always say on here, because <laughs> must I say, I, first of all, Ty, well done. I, I never thought you wasn't crazy stories, but Eric, my man, you have a crazy one. <laughs> oh, let me let me ask you this you talk about how you're in this house you walk in this bedroom you see you see this kid ultimately it's this house laying face down how can you let me let's back up did, did you ever forgive the kid for injecting him? Let me ask that first. Um, uh, let me answer that by saying I never had a minute where I cared about this kid in order to want to forgive him. I didn't need to. He was not really part of the story I cared about. And um, whatever is going to happen to him is going to happen, whether it, whether I, whether it's this way or that way, I could care less. Um, my son made some very poor choices in life, but he was also very, he had a, 
there, there was a part of him that it broke my heart because his brain wasn't set up to succeed in this world. And um, he had some learning disabilities and that would creep into, it would, he would sabotage unknowingly the very friendships and relationships in his own life. And he had a very, very difficult time in school, very difficult. And it wasn't his fault. You know, his brain just could not function right. And um, it broke my heart for him. So in one way, I feel bad that he died at such a young age. But part of me thinks, what if he was older? What if he was, what if he had a family and a job and more people than just him were affected? So, you know, like I, I think beyond, I'd be, I think beyond that kid, he just, he, it could have been any kid. You know what I mean? That's how I look at it. That's, that's interesting. So, so now we talk about the situation with Courtney. I, I read the first part of the book. Okay, the kid died. Now this with Eric. Out of what field here, here comes this oddball of a character. I never <laughs> thought that she would. Wow, I never thought that she was coming out of what field the way she did. If you had to say something to her now, what would you say to her? Well, it's funny because I ran into her recently. Um, she was at the very Vaughn's grocery store where she would take my credit card and charge over $18,000 at. So I, I saw her in there not too long ago. And I said, oh, whose credit card are you using today? And she kind of startled a second. And she was like, don't come near me. And I'm like, I'm not coming near you. And I said, all you got to worry about now is what you're going to do in jail. And she's like, oh, I'm not going to jail. So she's facing 14 years. Yes, she is going to jail. So she took, I, I'll, I, this is a guesstimate of mine, about $300,000. $10,000 of that was, came in for Griffin after he'd passed away. $10,000 of a deceased person's finances. That, that really wasn't even his. It was people that had donated to him. And she knew him. How cold-hearted is that? That's like diabolical, like crazy. So, so when you ask me what would I say to her, I don't know that there's anything that I say to her that for her would register. Like, what's the point? You know, you she's kind of fallen into that subhuman category. Like, when you take a child who's 18 years old when he passed away all the money that is in a, an account that's called Griffin's Memorial Fund. You take all that? So I don't know what I'd say. Yeah, I don't know how you've kept your cool <laughs> through this all, Eric. I mean, I mean, when we first talked back in, I think it was like October, it was a long time ago. 
to then when we caught up just a couple weeks ago, uh, I could tell, like, you know, how, I mean, you were, you're obviously angry about it as anybody would be, but I, I can't believe how calm you are talking about this all now compared, compared to then. It seems like over time, I don't know if you accept this all, but maybe you just learn how to, how to handle it, how to process it and, and know the truth is on your side and it's going to come out. Yeah. Well, I think part of it is, uh, is that um, through this process, um, there was a Dr. Tomaszewski who was a neuropsychologist. And I think you had mentioned him before. I don't know if you talked to him or not, but uh, initially um, he's the person that when I got evaluated, okay, picture this. I want to get evaluated by person to gain control of my own money in the middle of getting stolen from when I can't barely add two plus two. So who do you think was responsible for even going there? Because that came after Courtney had forged that $10,000 check on the account that I would have had access to had I passed this test. And so I went from there to literally just a year ago being reevaluated in June and getting my, and now being officially declared having mental and medical capacity over myself. So the time that I was talking to you was when, October? So, so that wasn't that much long after that. There were, uh, there was an interview I did, one of the first ones I did back in December of, I think it was, uh, what are we in 21 now? This would have been, I think, December of 2019. And I remember going on there and listening to me afterward. And the guy who was doing the interview kept trying to steer me back because <laughs> I was rambling everywhere. And now I feel like mentally my brain has calmed down enough. And this is what Dr. Tomaszewski said. He goes, Eric, people can tell you right to your face. And they did. Courtney is stealing from you blind. And it would go like as though it was never said. Then later, I would get the idea that someone's stealing from me, that very same person. And eventually I get pissed at you for not telling me which you did. And he was like, Eric, that's normal. And that did happen. That happened a few times, probably more than a few times. And so it's like, now we are what, five years out or a little bit more. And which is when you consider when he said, Tomaszewski said, you know, you're looking, first of all, to survive to begin with is sort of like never happened. But if you are, then you're left with what's called a traumatic brain injury. Because the, in the best case scenario, that's two to three years of your initial recovery. You throw in all the seizures and fainting things you had early on, that, now you're up into the four and a half, five year category, which there, that's kind of where we're at. So now with all this, um, <laughs> I do, I feel like the luckiest man walking amazing but i like to get back to dustin i noticed your color red you probably didn't know this dustin but i went to nc state which is red and white 
<laughs> so I would almost think you are representing the Wolfpack today. <laughs> Man. Oh, boy. Hey, uh, God, I could ask you a million more questions, but yeah, Dan, Joe, Chris, anybody, just, just let her rip. So Eric, I really enjoyed uh, reading Tyler's piece. Um, I do feel like it ended maybe one or two paragraphs too soon, because I was really interested to know what your relationship is like now with um, your other son, Dylan, um, and kind of, uh, I noticed he was in parts of the story, but um, you know, wasn't obviously a central role in there. So just interested in your relationship now. Well, um, you know, it's good. It's good. But I've got some explaining to do over time. And, um, you know, through, to me, yes, Anna has been incredible to this. Incredible. She and I went to high school together. Um, but Dylan, through no fault of his own, has endured more tragedy in his life than anyone I know. And, um, and yet this dude still keeps on being passionate about whatever it is. Like for him, it's baseball. But, but his baseball, the reason he's passionate about baseball, like he, I coach, other than football, I coached one of my kids' teams outside of football. That was Dylan for one year in baseball. It was like nine or 10 years old. And he liked it, but I think he liked, he kind of liked everything. You know, like he got into flying remote control airplanes and he got into lacrosse and he got into football and basketball, whatever. And prior to Griffin passing away, um, some friends of his had gotten him to go, they wanted to play baseball. And, and the story I hear is that they got him into going to the, whatever, the pitching area, right? The, and so they clocked him with the radar gun and he threw it like, I don't know, 90 something miles an hour. And so, and then not long after that, he passed away. So, and it was in the middle of his football, not the tail end of his football season. And so the reason Dylan even went into baseball was because to honor Griffin. And so here now he is playing and he's pretty good. And it's just, it's to see him work at something literally nonstop every day. You know, he'll get me out there to like, <laughs> like pitch and, you know, soft toss. And, and he wanted a, he wanted a pitching machine. So I got him a pitching machine. So he's like, He's crazy into this stuff. And so it's just fun to watch him, you know, because he, he lost a brother. He, he nearly lost me. He, um, he's lost all of his grandparents now. And there was a time when the girlfriend that he still has, they were together since he was a junior in high school. Um, there was a time when those two were at sort of an afternoon party, something or other. And some kids said something to his girlfriend and Dylan, I think sort of gotten in the middle of that. And then somebody came up from behind him and hit him over the head with something, knocked him out. He got jumped by like four or five guys. And as he passed out, he slips into the pool. So he's got some of his own brain trauma from that. And, 
and like those kids had no idea who he was or what he'd been through in life, you know? And so I'm just happy to see this part of my story that's part of his life start to generate, you know, things in a positive way. Like he's all, he's so fired up that this, that things are now happening the way they're happening because for so long they didn't. And, uh, and I'm not talking legal stuff. I mean, just in life in general. So my relationship with Dylan right now, thankfully, is good. And I'm going to make sure I keep it that way. You say it's good. Does that mean it's a close relationship, Alex? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. He's back living with me now. And he's 23 years old. And um, so it's, he was 13 when Griffin passed away. And so he's still got the same girlfriend. And... Um, they, uh, he, he lives with me and so does she. So um, they, they just both drove up. Well, I'm going to go tomorrow, about two hours north of here. Um, the travel team he plays on where he's getting ready to go back and play college ball. Um, there's this travel team he plays on. So it's about two hours north. They have a game today and then a doubleheader tomorrow. I'm going to go for the doubleheader tomorrow. So anyway, he's loving what he does. And um, it's just fun being around him. Do you ever find yourself in an odd trying to figure out when to explain these things to Dylan? Because 23 year old Dylan knows half of what 13 year old Dylan saw. Mm -hmm. So, do you ever find yourself in odds like when is the right time to tell Dylan about? about this and everything else. When is the right time to to explain yourself? So what that's a really good question. And I I think I don't know the answer to it, and I'll tell you how I don't. Is that um when 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 all of this came to fruition, and I mean all the theft stopped and Courtney was no longer in the picture. I kind of went overboard in wanting to talk to Griffin, I'm sorry, talk to Dylan about whatever, almost like say I'm sorry, over and over and over. And he was like, enough. You know, I, I, he didn't say enough, he, but I could tell with his body language and stuff, he was telling me, okay, let's just hang out. So I think my aunt had told me, oops, my aunt had told me that, um, you know, I think Griffin, I'm sorry, Dylan just wants to know you're not going anywhere. You know, when he gets up in the morning, if you're still there, that works for him. And uh, so that's kind of how I go about it now. You know, like if he wants to go play baseball, we'll go play baseball. And I just want to make sure I'm always there for whatever he needs, you know. And if he wants to talk about something, you know, I'll talk to him about it. But I'm not going to force myself on him. I think he just wants to, you know, he's 23, but in so many ways, he missed out on part of his childhood. So I think he just wants to wake up in the morning, go have fun, do his thing, and nothing bad happens. So I want to do my part in that. Like, um, like you've said, Anna said, uh, I mean, there's zero depression now. I mean, you've 
gosh, you wake up at 2 a.m. some mornings, you know, ready, ready to get the day rolling. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it when you texted me the night before. Oh, I'll be up there. I'm like doing the math in my head. Are my time zones off? But I mean, you're a genuinely happy guy. Like there's that, that empty sadness is so far gone. Um, Like you, you, and this goes for any ex player, you know, like that went through any kind of trauma. Like you're just, you find a reason to get up in the morning and, and be excited and go to that double header. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's part of it is that, um, like I said, it, it, it took me a while to come to, like get out of this sort of walking brain fog. And now that I am, like for instance, the, the NFL who's never been anywhere near associated with mental illness or suicide or anything, right? I mean. That's almost the definition of what some of these sports are, football namely, right? Now, here they are jumping into uh, every team now has some behavioral health clinician along with a staffed therapist. That never happened before. And so there was a woman that approached me years ago during my recovery that said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm directing something on suicide prevention. Would you be a part of it? So of course I was. And I went around and I was talking to, you know, my high school and other things about my suicide attempt. And, and then we sort of lost touch with each other for a little bit. I got my life derailed, of course. And then I got back in touch with her probably a year ago. And here we are about to, to bring a suicide prevention program to the NFL. So those are the kind of things that get me out of bed in the morning, you know? That's pretty cool. And like you said, it doesn't, it's, that's just the NFL. Why not every core sport? And uh, anyway, so that, that's, that's all. I know, I know the story itself is big, but underneath the big part, there's other other starts, other parts too that are for me big. The way Anna described it, like when you were, you know, for in, in this this fog, you know, for a number of years, and like she said, like, you know, you you'd be on the couch watching TV for hours on end. Like, did you have any recollection at all of what? that state was really like is 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 it really just it's gone yeah i i like people like anna have had to tell me mostly anna have had to tell me things about my life that i'll never know i just have to take them on their word for it and um yeah that that's just and and it was at that time that courtney attacked Uh, that, that's uh, Anna, Anna was like, Anna was like, Eric, anybody could have stolen from you. Anybody. It's just that only one person did. We got to bring Anna in here. She's been pretty quiet over there. Well, what do you, <laughs> what do you remember about that time? Anna? I, this is not my story. I was a bystander. <laughs> um, it was, it was difficult. It was difficult. It was, he was so much and we have, we testified this in his um, annulment trial. He was very much like a child. So, you know, like kids don't eat. They want to play, whatever. They want to sit in front of the TV. If you didn't put food in front of him, he wouldn't eat. Like the brain wouldn't tell him to eat. 
Like he didn't feel hunger. He didn't feel heat. Um, I remember us being playing basketball when we were at his sister's house and it was like a 90 or hundred degrees outside. Everyone's sweating and he's wearing a sweatshirt. So we had to tell him, Eric, take off your sweatshirt. So it was things like that, that was like, okay, this is gonna take some time, but physically he was, he was fine. He was able to speak with everybody, answer questions intelligibly. And, and you think that everything is penetrating, Lord comes, we find out nothing was penetrating. Um, he had the right responses at the time. For example, I went over to his house and I was, when he was um, getting treatment, I was handling all his medical bills and dealing with the insurance companies in order to make sure that his medical bills are taken care of and the insurance was proper processing it. So after I did that, I would go to his house and say, okay, Eric, we got to pay these two doctor bills. Everything has been, um, the insurance already paid. He goes, well, I can't, I can't write a check. I go, well, why? He goes, I'm overdrawn. And I'm like, uh, no, you shouldn't be overdrawn. Hey, I knew what his, what his account was, but um, I'm thinking, okay, maybe he just forgot to do something and I let it go. Three weeks, I go back. And again, he says, oh, I haven't gone to the bank yet to figure out why it was overdrawn. Right there, that was a red flag to me was because a the red being overdrawn was a red flag but the second part was that he didn't go to the bank to go figure out why he was overdrawn eric was very meticulous to the penny as far as if somebody overcharged him by two dollars oh he's going to dispute that charge and that's how i would be too so it's like this is not eric and then i would see all these i don't know amazon packages um all addressed to Courtney. And mind you, the three years that they dated off and on, not once did he ever have her live with him. So all of a sudden she's quitting her job, like within weeks of him coming home, quitting her job and moving her daughter in and her dog in. And it's like, it, again, everything was not right. In my mind, nothing was right with this picture. And, you know, you know, women's intuition, well, never doubt it. Because um, I got into his bank account and that's how I discovered all the, you know, the daily 18 withdrawals. I saw the, and when I say daily, we're talking three to $700 a day, just taking it. Like who does that? Nobody, nobody does that. And she was like, just taking it her soccer charges for her, um, her health insurance for her and her daughter, her storage, whatever. She, it was like, she, Eric was her own personal bank and he had no idea what was going on. Zero. So it was very hard for us to see him. And we thought, okay, maybe us telling him is not working. Maybe if we get the judge or a police officer to tell him it will click, right? Cause Eric and I, and everyone that we know had the utmost respect for the law, utmost respect for the law. And I was in constant communication with the detective and he told me everything that was going on. And it was just, it, it was almost like when we went in court and the detective testified and he testified that she was stealing and that she's been stealing for months. And we're like, okay, the detective is testifying. Wait, then Courtney says it. She admits to stealing his money in court. Like, okay, great, this is all happening. 
And Eric just walks out of the place with her. And I'm like, this is, I go literally that day on January 10th, 2017, we thought we lost Eric forever. We thought, oh shit, he survived the suicide attempt so she can steal from him. That's what we came away with. That was our impression that we came away with. And there was like, we all we could do at that point was continue to fight in the conservatorship case, which we got bamboozled by all these attorneys. You know, they told us one thing. Oh, no, all you need is a letter from the doctor saying that she was, he was incapacitated and it would be a slam dunk. And at the time that we conferred with the attorneys, there was no marriage. So we said, well, what if she goes out and takes, go and gets married? Oh, no, no. All you just need is that letter of capacity or incapacity and you'll be able to annul that marriage. Well, it cost Eric $125,000 to annul the marriage. And then the detective was telling us, right. The detective was telling us it was a slam dunk case. We've always been told this from every single aspect of there's like, there's no way she's going to be able to get out of this. So when the DA, the first DA, Bell Chin, which by the way, we didn't know her name. I ended up discovering out in October, 2018. Um, she apparently, the four reasons that she gave the detective was they didn't want to bring national media attention to Eric, especially after his suicide attempt, um, that Eric needed a caregiver, that um, the conservatorship would make her go away. And there was one other thing, sorry, I'll think of it in a minute, but there was like four things that they said. The, the and marriage like, muddied the waters. Oh, the marriage muddied the waters. Which the I'm marriage like, was a crime. Right, yeah. right. By the way. Right, so I'm like, what? We all knew it was coerced. How, how is it? Then when he signs the conservatorship over to his sister on December 13th, 2016, that exact same day, Courtney's emailing the Santa Barbara courthouse, a reservation and using Eric's credit card, again, unauthorized to make the marriage ceremony reservation. She was always one step ahead because you know why? We figured out uh, she took control of Eric's emails. She had Eric's emails on her phone and she also diverted emails from like his lawyer, his, uh, his estate lawyer and his financial institution to go straight into the trash. So he would never read it. So he would get upset with the people not saying, you're not paying my bills when in fact, they're writing them saying, we can't pay your bills because of the theft and everything was going straight to his trash. So she, she was that controlling and that manipulative and that diabolical um, she put on an act, hon. She put on an act. She convinced Eric's aunt and other friends, oh, that she's there to take care of him. But she couldn't convince me of that. Thank God. I mean, thank God you're on the front lines of this fight. And we touched on it a little bit. Like, what's in it for her? So she she just wanted to live this this dream life in her head to just spend and spend and spend. Like, I, I she, it- yeah. She, because she became friends with Marshawn, which was Eric's um, ex-wife, uh, real wife. And she would make, because she was texting Marshawn. She was texting Marshawn when all this investigation was going on. And I have copies of them tech, those texts. And she was saying, I'm going to go to jail. I'm going to, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to arrest me for fraud. Um, writing a check um, is fraud using his credit card without an authorization is fraud. Can you please bail me out? Um, 
and I'll pay you back. Make sure you take care of my daughter too when they arrest me because I don't want her going to children's services. So it's all this stuff. And she said, you know what? She saw the life that Marshawn had lived with Eric, which Marshawn didn't have to work. Um, Marshawn had whatever kind of spending issues she had, but she wanted that life for herself. So um, prior to prior to her dating Eric, three weeks prior to her dating Eric in 2011, she was dating this married man, Jonathan Schwartz, who got um, who ended up being uh, the guy money manager for Alanis Morissette and going to jail for embezzling four million dollars. <laughs> so that's the kind of crowd she likes to keep. <laughs> She's just, she's just a gold digger looking for a man to take care of. Yep. She didn't want to work. And, you know. Tyler, have you guys met my publicist, Anna Durgan? She's also my legal counsel. <laughs> and the business manager and everything and else. Business, and guess right, what? Right, right. I don't get fucking paid. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to call. I'm going to call the California Department of Labor. This is abuse. Well, that no, that's I, that's part I, I four. Her, We're putting out part I four I told tomorrow. her if she keeps it up, I'm going to double her salary. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, so it was hard. It was really hard to see. And I mean, it was like they were going to be signing this, um, this marital settlement agreement, which was going to put her in, have her in his will. And I'm like, hell no. So I said, you know what? I'm going to give 10,000 of my own money. Take this case to trial, please. Who who knows what she does then? Right. I don't. Right. Oh, no. Let me tell you that evil. Okay, let me tell you something. Had I not called the detective and told the detective to call Tom, Dr. Tomaszewski, it very well might have, she might have gotten away with stealing all his money. She might have gotten away with it. Because if Eric would have gotten, if, if the, the, uh, Dr. Tomaszewski wasn't aware about all this theft, so it's really by chance that it all happened the way it did, um, because Dr. Tomaszewski might have given him a clearance. I'm not exactly sure. I can't speak on that behalf because he did do extensive testing, but throughout the whole entire report, it would make reference to Courtney stealing and she was taking advantage of him because he couldn't comprehend the theft. He just couldn't comprehend the theft. Like they were saying, here someone is telling him, oh, someone just stole 50,000 from you, right? And then he's looking at his bank statement and he was more concerned that he was overdrawn on his bank statement not that what just someone told him that fifty thousand was being stolen so that was an unusual reaction to have and of course two times throughout um courtney had eric call she probably dialed the number for him and had her had him call the detective to say don't prosecute don't prosecute and again, the reason why I know all this is because I keep in contact with the detective, even though he's retired, I still communicate with him because he's very, he, this is the one case that he had that was not finished before he left, that he wanted to see finished. And so I keep in, in contact with him. And even the new detective too, he's great. They both, all the detectives, I got to say, were great in this aspect. It was the first DA who didn't want to do the work. Oh, the marriage muddy the waters. Really? The marriage was coerced. We have all the evidence to prove it. Just prove can the evidence. Anna, can, can I jump in and say Go one ahead. thing about what, yep. what a fraud she was? Is that when Anna gets a hold of her in an email, um, 
this is after all of the theft is done now, right? So this is the domestic violence thing, which was a fraud to begin with. Anna finally gets a hold of her in an email and she's saying, oh no, this case isn't closed. Please give me more information. I'm I would totally, yeah, guess what we found out? She was sitting in the very chair in the very conference room that Anna and I were talking to this one detective at. And she goes, no, no, no. She was sitting right there the whole time saying why this, this case shouldn't be prosecuted. So you don't have, like, I can't go get a lawyer to represent me in court. You have to go to the DA. You know, and when the DA doesn't want to take your case, right? And, but then comes across as saying, oh, give me more information. What more do you need than a confession? Two you know, confessions, three confessions, multiple. You know, it's crazy, guys. It's like here we are talking about this all. And thank God we're sitting here talking about this all. I just wonder how many times this has happened to people all around the country and they have no voice. You know what I mean? Oh, I mean, I'm sure that's what you're fighting for them. now. It helps so, us a lot with the elderly. Tell them, the, though, Anna, tell them the ones that aren't elderly. Which ones, hon? Which ones? Well, so uh, you got Britney Spears right now. Oh, yeah. You've got... Um, Brad Vaughn. Kate, hold on. Casey Kasem's yep. family, spearheaded now by Carrie Kasem, his daughter. Casey Kasem married late in life. And so this particular woman was his conservator also. And she kept his entire kids away from him. It was his wife. It was his second wife. Whatever, whoever it was, she right. kept her her his own kids, his kids, which weren't hers, away from him. So he died, never seen them. She was yep. just and on so, a Adam Carolla talking about that two weeks ago. It's unbelievable. Right. Yep. So she now she on her own. More than I think around half the states. Correct me if I'm wrong, Anna. Now have laws in place that. You, as a conservator, it's against the law for you to keep the conservatee so away right. from his family. Right. So there's a movement afoot, uh, Tyler and everybody, that it's, it's, I'm the last guy here to this party. There's Brad Lund, who's um, uh, Walt Disney's grandson, has been in this for a long time. In fact, the, the judge... Cowan, who was the judge in my case, was the judge in his case. And I don't know if you know this or not, but there's only one way to be declared incapacitated. It's a neuropsychologist. This judge, Cowan, declared Brad Lund incapacitated. Even though he had medical records that said he, was, he did have capacity. Yeah. So... The, Brad Lund is suing personally that judge. So there's a movement afoot within the within the legal community itself to get the system changed, which again I didn't know there was one until I was in it. So we just basically need more me more medical experts and less 
governmental what? bureaucracy right. bureaucracy and bullshit. Like really just get get what's important involved instead of the lawyers that are all trying to make money off each other at the end of the day. And they well, do it's like it's it's like what Anna was telling me. Um we were standing in my house one night and I said, you know, I feel like I don't fit. I'm I'm in this hallway, which we were standing in. So I feel like my life, I'm in this hallway and the conservatorship court system nor the criminal court system acknowledge this hallway. And she was like, well, here's where the, here's where the, the conservatorship court system could have helped you is that had you been instantly declared uh, incapacitated, I'm, I'm sorry, had you been conserved of the estate and of the person, you still could have gotten married. But if I was your conservator, I would have been able to go down, find out where you, because I know exactly where you got married, she said. I could have, I could have shown up the next day with this conservatorship of the person right in my hand. Eric's not allowed to sign that legal document, which is what a marriage certificate is. So that's how one thing it could have said to you. And then she also said that her and my aunt had it figured that if Courtney would have gotten arrested and went to jail at the time when we were together, guess who would have been bailing her out? Me. So Anna said, if I would have been concerned of the estate and of the person financially, I couldn't have done that. So you can use this system to your advantage. So that's one of the things that I'm hoping in the future to take to the NFL and other pro sports too, because it's, it's just life. Everybody's heading down that road. So if this system exists, use it. But then you also have to help it get designed to use it the way it's supposed to. Alex, Don, Mike, feel free to jump in. So Eric, I'm so happy that everything is going well for you now. Reading Tyler's story on you, I had to stop reading so many times just because it was so terrifying that I, I couldn't continue. It, I, I've never read anything so frightening in my life. Thank God you had somebody in your life who was who loved you so much that wanted to help you as much as they did. And Anna, you're like one of the greatest people ever. So. Congr congratulations to you or I don't even know if it's congratulations I, I I can't even put it into the proper terminology because you know it everything about it is so horrifying but Eric going back to your playing career even I, I believe you played with one of my all-time favorite bills Joe Ferguson I don't know if you or was just before or just after you no but, no 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 I never did I never did um you, you know that hit that I think it was Wilbur Marshall put on yeah. mm -hmm. it, at, when he was with the Lions, uh, Joe Ferguson, I mean, people thought that was me. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, when I was a kid, when I was like in, I don't know, I want to say it was like junior college, there was a guy that played for the Vikings named Tommy Kramer. Mm -hmm. And some people thought he was related to me, which he, which he obviously wasn't. <laughs> You, you, uh, and Joe, you and Fergie had similar playing styles. You know, you, you guys 
and, and this is not an insult, you, you had didn't necessarily have the most talent in the world, but you played so hard, you gutted it out, and you were certainly a player to be admired from like the, the every fan. So, you know, I just want to let you know, like, guys like you are so appreciated and I'm so happy that you're doing so much better. And Tyler, thanks for bringing this story to us because like I said, it's one of the scariest stories I've ever read with a happy ending. So thanks to you all for sharing your story. Thank you for reading Don, man. Appreciate that. Yeah. I was going to say that I appreciate you saying that. I really appreciate what you said about Anna because her, especially, um, I mean, this girl's a rock star through this whole thing. I mean, unbelievable. And I'm, I'm glad that Tyler's stories and hopefully more in the future are going to bring that out because this girl had nothing to gain, zero. And in the face, you have no idea how much, how much uh, uh, how much What's the word I'm looking for? Not adversity, but um, like opposition she faced from the criminal justice system. Crazy. And the conservatorship courses, both. And yet she hung in there for, like we're talking, Courtney admitted this thing back in uh, November 29, 2016. She didn't get arrested until February 2020. So all those years went by and nothing. And so she hung in there this whole time. And and like like I think I said earlier, we've known each other since high school. But I, I didn't know her like that. I mean, I knew she was a good person, but not, I mean, that's, I don't know too many, like you said, as was said here, there's not many stories like mine. Well, yes, there are. You just don't hear about them. But people like Anna don't come along either very often. Well, and, and then the other thing that you said is like how, how you want to share this with the NFL and hopefully the NFL PA and God knows they have landmines where the stories that don't even come close to this one. Like normally it's a family member ripping somebody off who's like completely like with all their faculties. And right. here you are who were like behind the eight ball at that time and the NFLPA and the NFL should be looking to, and Tyler brings this up all the time, that they should be looking to, with more compassion, to take care of the players and former players. And if you can be a beacon to help guide that way, you, you, you'll be like the greatest hero in the history of the NFLPA in my mind. I appreciate that. And that's, I'm glad you said that, because that's about two years ago, or, or maybe even, yeah, about two years ago. This is the exactly what you just brought up is exactly what we're working on so i have a feeling no i'm gonna i'm I'm saying it's guaranteed we're gonna change we've already begun changing laws um you're right and the 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 nfl and the nflp especially need to know about this conservatorship court system they need to know you know, one of the things that I was talking about uh, with Kieran Sahota, that's the one who's doing this suicide prevention program of maybe having an exit instead of a, not instead of, but you know how there's these rookie symposiums where rookies coming in out of, out of college. 
uh, we're talking about having an exit symposium. And because though that's in addition to the rookies, it's the people that have played before, you know, because a lot of these careers end in a year or two, three. And but some of the people that have been around that are still living, they play back in the day when there was no benefits or very little. And they're the ones that are really heading for conservatorship. They're the ones that in the demographic of me shooting myself, I was a little over 50 years old at the time. And the number one demographic of people in, I don't live in Ventura County, but I live right next door to it, but it's probably gonna be this way in every county is males ages, I think it's like 45 to 64. So I sit, I was sitting right in the middle of that and still am. And so it's, it's the people that, you know, in this exit symposium, uh, it would, my vision, it would be like the hall of fame game. And, you know, with zoom now, if you can't make it, you can zoom your way in, but it's the people that are a little bit older that are going to be able to take advantage of some of these programs, I believe. And, you know, their interest will be peaked up because they're, they're in that demographic. And no matter what it is we're talking about. You know, it's wild there. You guys were teammates in 99, Ryan leaf. We sat down and, and had a conversation just like this. He, in so many words said exactly what you just said that Roger Goodell is there on draft night to give you a big hug, but where is he when you're done? You know what I mean? It, it, it's don't, don't let the door hit you on the ass on, on the ass on your way out. He's like, there, there's gotta be something in place. Something. Well, I, so the great thing is, is that this woman, Karen Sahota has been, this is what she's been doing for like nearly a decade. And when I brought this to her regarding the NFL, she got back to me a few weeks later and she says, you know, um, the NFL does an awful lot right now, an awful lot. But she goes, I'm trained to look for what they don't do. And what they don't do are programs like, they, okay, they dove into the mental health. Here, we're here to, we're providing this for you. We're providing that for you. They don't have a program. So we're, they're going to have one here soon. And that's what I think the NFL has just as a league, the corporate NFL and the NFLPA have begun to recognize that, you know, look at the look at the the, the game itself. Look at how the, the rules are changing, equipment is changing, um, and that's while players are playing. And now they're getting into helping recognize that players and everybody in society, but players too, within their own worlds have mental health issues either themselves or people in their family and now what about the back end of life and so i think that's part of the part of what we're trying to make um bring to reality too because like it or not every one of those players just like every human being in america or around the world at least in america because the laws are such that you're all heading for conservancy I have a 96-year-old grandmother, okay? 10 years ago, she could have found herself in this. But we've protected her not to be, you know? But that's only because it's such a, a 
system in need of changes. You know, but eventually those changes are going to come because of like, look at there's these documentaries, these docu series. Now the hell, there's even a movie of I think it's what is it called? Honor the uh, I care a lot. Yeah, I care a lot. So they're making movies and documentaries about this very conservatorship. In some states, they call it um, uh, guardianship. So it's the system itself that's being talked about now, at least more than ever, but in a scale of maybe 100%, at its best now, it might be what, 10 or 15%, if that? So we got to get it up into that you know, upper echelon where it's, it's kind of everybody's talking you know, and doing things about changing it all the time. Make it work for you, not against you. And you just got to keep fighting because, I mean, they, these guys know I'm pretty anti-government. To change anything in the system, it's like, shit, you, you almost just have to keep whacking away with the hatchet. Like, I, I don't it, 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 you just got to keep working at it because there's just so many gears that make government and the legal system go. I, I, I don't know. It's, I don't know how you change things. It's, it's hard to get people to change. Well, if I said to you, cause I, I, as you're talking, I was about to ask you, what do you think it would take? Cause I have an idea. I think Anna has an idea and it's things like what you're now doing, you know, it's podcast, it's docu-series, it's, investigative journalism pieces that that show them in their flawed jobs yeah. doing it flawed ways that's what makes changes it's taking it to legislators and changing laws that currently don't either don't exist or that the laws themselves need changing public pressure altering. yeah and so to me that's the road that's the train we're now on so we're laying the tracks and we're on the train too. Well, and also like most laws, it's created with good intentions, but we know where most of these good intention laws go. And there's always somebody looking to take advantage of the loopholes in the law. And, and so luckily there's somebody like you who's willing to tell their story and somebody like Tyler who's willing to report on it without having to worry about an editor who's telling them, well, nobody's going to read this story who gives a rat's ass, but Tyler's out there and saying, this is a story that people need to hear. And I thank both of you for that. Yeah. I think you're right about that. I think it's a combination of people like jumping on the horse and it's people making the sound and then it's people writing about what's going on. And it's, uh, it, it takes everybody going and pretty soon the wave starts to build, right? I mean, the Titanic was something that's supposed to be so big and powerful it was immune. Well, it wasn't because that, that tide's coming. And I think that's what we're trying to, to do is in, in every single way, cut off all channels for what's going on to have any release other than change. Do you think Anna, I have a question for you here. Sorry, Dustin, uh, go ahead. Okay, okay. Um, Anna, I have a question for you. And that question is actually it's a two-part question. So Eric talked way at the beginning of this whole thing about how he recently saw Courtney. 
And when she told him, I'm not going to jail, what, before I ask the second part of this question, what went through your head, Anna, when you heard that story that you saw her at the Billy Bonds grocery store? Okay, first question. I've been dying to want to see her because I would create a scene. I don't care where the hell I am. I would tell everybody she's a fucking thief. Excuse my French. And I would tell everybody so that they know who she is. And it's lucky that she ran into him and not me because I probably might have just done something to egg her on to have her throw the first swing at me so that I could beat the crap out of her. So that's, <laughs> that's how I feel. So he's lucky. She's actually lucky she saw him because she doesn't have, I mean, he doesn't have the, the, the ill will as far as trying to beat the crap out of her like I did. Because what she did was just, it was diabolical. It was just so wrong in so many ways. And just, it, it, if it wasn't so much that she was overplaying everything and isolating him from his family and friends, but she went to the extent of, of saying that she, you know, he, she followed a false domestic violence as opposed to just saying, okay, my gig's up. You know, she probably wouldn't have been facing jail. Well, she probably still would have, but um, she just should have walked away. She just shouldn't have tried to do the false domestic violence. She used a false domestic violence to extort more money from him. And that's all it was. And it worked because poor me, poor woman, poor victim. Um, she played the victim card. So, so he's lucky. She's lucky. She saw Eric and not me. Do you uh, know? Can I, Justin, can I jump in real quick and add to that? Sure. I say one thing that's going to make me feel good is I, I tell Anna this, that one day I feel like I want to go visit Courtney in her orange jumpsuit one of these years. <laughs> we'll go <Yeah>. together. <laughs> can, can we come too? <laughs> yes, we'll have a party. Yes, we will have a, we will have a go long TD party. We'll be out in front of the prison like the burn Bundy burn party had. Right, what, right. I'll oh, say right. this. They're, her, her representatives, anybody on that side of the story is more than welcome to come on to a Zoom happy hour. We will gladly hear what that argument is in this case because I'm not sure there is one. No, I don't think there's ever going to be another side that anyone's wanting to get into the city. <laughs> Like the, the, the woman who lives across the street from me, Sorry. Um, you know, on the way out, Courtney had told her, because I was out of my house for 75 days, right? living in a hotel, on this false domestic violence. And this woman across the street, who's always been very nice, um, I, I let her know that I was back. And she goes, you know, I just feel so bad for you. And I feel so bad for Courtney, because she called Courtney about this domestic violence. So that's Courtney neighbors she told about. And so this woman, uh, some time went by, oh, I know what happened. So Dan Wetzel wrote a piece uh, a while back. I don't forget how long ago it was. And I, I texted uh, Alma that uh, uh, article, to, uh, the link to it. And a couple of days later, I get back a text that says, oh, she's always been so sweet to us. I was like, what? 
So Anna still saved defend, me. Still defending her. <laughs> Anna saved me from walking over there and talking to her. She's like, don't. Well, sure enough, just about a week ago, I'm in my garage and she comes walking over and she goes, uh, gosh, I'm just, is everything okay? I feel like something's wrong because you don't acknowledge anymore. And I said, well, actually, no, it's not, everything's not all right. You, that domestic violence was a sham, which she covered up stealing $300,000 eventually and costing her $400,000 in legal expenses. And part of that money she took was Griffin's and she knew him. So that's the person that was all sweet to you. I'm like, hey, it's okay to admit that when you get conned, you get conned. I did too. Only you didn't have brain injury. And, but that happens. And so, you know, she's like, I'm just so sorry. You know, what can I do? And I said, well, I think you just did it by walking over here. And um, so it's just amazing how, and I'm glad she did and we're good now, but um, it's just amazing how somebody can be so good at something in life like conning people and get away with it. And she did. And she's like, she's never going to get prosecuted for that false domestic violence, never. Because of what the, um, the arresting officer put in his police report. So he basically asked me a question if I had put my hands on my wife and earlier that day, I put my hand on the back of her shoulder. So that's what I meant. Well, he not wearing a body camera not having a microphone, puts in quotes, I said that we had a, uh, a loud argument over finances and that I pushed her. That's not what I said. Eric but didn't even know what his finances yeah. were. <laughs> because, right, but because that's what's in the police report, they, the prosecutor looks at that as fact. And then Courtney's fearing for her life while she's emailing Correct. you, right? Right. Right. And, and calling me to, to relay a message to him. Yeah. That was all but over TMZ. Yeah, she's in fear of her life, but she's writing him an email. And I told him, of course, I did, he wasn't going to respond and I didn't have to tell him that. Um, and she's asked, she's leaving me a message. I still have the voice message that says, you know, please relay this message to Eric, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, girl, you have a criminal protective order, right? Because you're in fear of your life. What the hell are you doing? It just, it was another part of her sham. And that's all it was. It was, she went so far as to get Eric's neighbors to look at him differently than what they knew because she's a good con. That's all she is. She's a con artist. So a grifter, you know, she'll, she'll, she'll go to one, you know, I don't know who's her next, next victim is going to be, but it's going to be somebody because she doesn't want to work. Don put it so perfectly, like any law that's in place, the way this is like, there's going to be evil that will find a way to take advantage of that, that will find a loophole, a way to exploit. And then, you know, it could be something small and it can be something extreme where it could, it should have ruined your life, Eric. Really? Right. But I, and that was regarding lawmaking. Initially, that was one of my thoughts was, okay, let's say you get a law made. Well, the next cycle it comes up and someone's going to dismantle it in some way. They're going to take 
you know, even for, for what you bring as the complete pie, someone's going to take a chunk out of it to get it in the first time. Then the next time someone might not like something about it and they'll take another piece out. Eventually it won't even be a pie anymore. And I think you have to vigilantly, a lot, what I found is in talking with uh, this Senator Hertzberg, who's the Senate Majority Leader um, in California, he's like, there's four bills on the floor right now. So there's four senators right now that are writing bills on conservatorship. And he goes, and they have friends too. And so we're going to, our goal is to take over the majority of that, you know, and go talk to them in mass about, you know, here's what's going on with the conservatorship court system that you are all approving of. Like they have no idea what's going on. They have none. This is not so, partisan at all, right? Both sides can get on board correct. with something like this. Correct. This is on a human being level. So it, there's no partisan to this. You can be Republican, Democrat. You're still going to get conservative at some point, potentially. Right. And, um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it, that's what I think, you know, Anna's already done a lifetime. Like she told me today, she goes, you know, Eric, you personally are a full-time job. And so I'm hoping she's willing to take that full-time job with me <laughs> and keep on going. Cause there's a lot of good things that can happen out of this, I think. Well, that's a good well, spot. Me, Holy let, cow. let me tell you something. Eric and I are we're the like the lone wolves. We're yeah, the ones yeah. that are are demanding that someone become conserved if ever there's a police investigation of theft, like in Eric's case. We're just using Eric's case as an example. Had that judge conserved Eric of both the person at the in the estate, all of this could have been avoided. Honestly, all of this could have been avoided. Courtney would have just been out of his house. She wouldn't have been facing jail. She possibly, not until Eric recovered enough and then he could decide whether or not he wanted to, to move forward uh, with prosecuting her, but he wouldn't have lost $700,000. It would have been 50 to, to $70,000 at the time had they just conserved him of the person. But because everybody is saying, don't take away your civil liberties, don't take away your voting rights. Everything is about voting, voting, voting. Um, they, that's what they maintained it. They want to be the most least restrictive. And all we wanted to do, we weren't going to, mind you, Eric shot himself August 18th, 2015. We kept everything in place for him. We didn't move, didn't move him out of his house. We kept everything status quo. So if we were trying to do anything untoward towards Eric, wouldn't we have moved him out of his house, put him in an apartment, do everything that's where he doesn't have to, so much to handle? We didn't, we kept everything the same for him. So we didn't do anything that was causing the conservatorship. It was Courtney that was stealing from him, forced us to cause a file for conservatorship. And that was 18 months, 17 months after he shot himself. But, and and then, then this court-appointed attorney, here's the detective testify, and the detective is saying, she's stealing from him, blah, 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 she admits to it. And the court-appointed attorney is saying, that's, that's okay, he, he doesn't want this conservatorship, and we want ten dollars to $15,000 a month for food and incidentals. I, I'm not, I'm, we're just like all there looking in shock, like, did this really just, do we just hear this? Like the whole face, everyone in the courtroom's face just dropped. When that attorney was asking for ten to fifteen thousand dollars 
a month for food and clothing because all his bills were being paid by the trust. I mean, I, I don't think I could ever spend ten to $15,000 a month on food and clothing. I couldn't be eating lobster every day. It still wouldn't add up to 10000 So this whole, we're the lone wolves here. People, the others reform, they want to maintain people's civil liberties. While we agree with that, there has to come a time for protection of the individual, especially if they're getting stolen from. Imagine if, if Cordy would have stolen all of Eric's money and let's say he needed more money for medical, where was, where was the money gonna come from? Mm-hmm. It's one of those things people don't know how serious and how severe and how shitty all this until they're in it or they're around somebody who's affected by it. It's probably so easy for everybody that's in that courtroom to not really take it as seriously as they should because they, they, they don't understand it. They can't comprehend it yet. But as Eric said, everybody is going to this place where they like it or not. You, I, we all are. We're all going to have some type of cognitive issues as we get older. So why not put the laws in place to protect us? And that's all we're trying to do to protect this from happening. So if I need to be incapacitated so someone doesn't steal from me because, okay, think about it. Change your will. So if I had a will leaving everything to my daughters and then some guy comes along and has me put him in a will removing my children, that makes no sense, right? That would never happen. Why? Because I'm incapacitated. I'm now changing it to someone else and removing my, my children. That would never happen. But that's what Courtney did. She made sure she got herself in his will, regardless if they were married or not. She put a gift. She had him put a gift to her for a million dollars and 10,000 for her daughter, regardless, it had nothing to do with whether or not they were married. How old is your daughter? Her daughter, her daughter yeah. or my daughter? Her daughter. Quite She's now 15, I think. She's gonna be 16. And you know, and, and you know how that saying goes, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. <laughs> I know that when uh, Eric got arrested, um, Dylan went over her house I mean, went over Eric's house and Courtney and her daughter were there. They wouldn't open the door. Courtney wouldn't open the door to, for, for Dylan, Eric's son. But mm-hmm. uh, Dylan saw Macy and Macy said, hey, is my dad okay? Can you just tell me, can you give me a thumbs up if my dad is okay or not? And she just walked on by without giving an answer. So that mother is teaching that child how to not properly treat someone with respect or with human decency. <laughs> Do we know how quickly she will go down talking about Courtney? Do we know how quickly Anna, you might notice more like Eric or vice versa? Do we know how quickly Courtney can go down? Because I, I plan to follow this to the end now, now that I know, now that I know what the hell happened, like. Well, she, her next court date's August 20th. Um, and that's just motions to see, to hear what evidence is going to be admitted and what evidence is not going to be admitted. And then based on that, what the DA has indicated to Eric, based on that um, next hearing, will determine whether or not Courtney will take an offer, a plea offer, and then um, serve her time, whatever the restitution is going to be. 
if she goes to trial, she's facing up to 14 years. And the trial wouldn't be probably until, I would say, sometime November or December of this year. At the earliest. earliest. Yeah. So, I mean, she's she's pretty cavalier. She walks around like she doesn't have a care in the world. Why? Because she was she was on probation when she was stealing from Eric. She was four months into her probation when she was paying her restitution for another court for forging a doctor prescription. So she's just a criminal. And then we found out with Eric's um, estate planning lawyer that she apparently has stolen from other people as well. So we, Eric and I think, well, she was stealing from Eric to pay back the other people. And I know the detective reached out to the attorney, but the attorney said none of his clients wanted to, to cooperate. You see what I'm saying? So people like that, like her, keep getting away with stealing because people don't want to speak up and do the right thing. Do the right thing and it protects the rest of us. One of the people that she forged, she forged a $200 check to her AA sponsor. <laughs> well, so she's had her own problems is what you're saying. She's going to continue to. I'm going to guess yeah. the track she's on, she's going to stay on for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Wait, and it's Femme just, fatale. you know, what's that? I said Femme Fatale. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, you know, she's, she's been on the job of being Courtney Baird long enough now that Courtney Baird's going to stay Courtney Baird for a while. Hey, jail, hey, jail or no jail? Jail or no jail. I know you refer to... Marshawn, your ex-wife, your now ex-wife, your real ex-wife, um, being friends, if you will, with Courtney. Yeah. Is she criminally not? Obviously. Yeah, that- <laughs> is, she, is she what? Is she in the middle of all this stuff? Is she gone? No, she's around. Yep, she's around. She was. So is, she, is she in cahoots with Courtney at all? I, I, I have to be careful of what I say because of Dylan, but she, yeah, she is around. But if you ask me, she's not someone I really want to be around. I wouldn't say that she knew what was happening, but she did know that Courtney did write a check and forge a check. But so she knew about that. Because at the time, um, Marshawn and I weren't speaking. Um, and, but when we discovered the theft, um, we had a meeting at the Los Angeles Sheriff's Office. And we invited Marshawn and Dylan because we, heard, we thought it would be better if all Eric's closest family and friends heard it directly from the, uh, the detectives, not from you know, me or Eric's sister Kelly. And then we did get Marshawn to play a role in getting Courtney to admit via text messages about the theft, the stealing, the forgery, and that she's going to jail. And you know, please bail me out of jail. I'll pay you back every cent. I promise. Take care of my daughter. Don't let her go to children's services. You know, um, so she already knew the routine 
about what was going to get happened if she got arrested. So um, I wouldn't say they were in cahoots, but I would say Marshawn did was aware of one check that she had written and forged. And at, le at least she helped out with that part. I mean, it, she spoke up long before that. But well, well yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Hey, Eric, can I ask you a question uh, related to football? So uh, during your playing time, was there ever a player where you were like, oh, crap, I got to go against this guy on this Sunday? And did you ever have an experience uh, against Deion Sanders? Because I see that you guys play in the same time frame. I'm not sure if you guys each other yeah he was in the the one time in 1994 that was the year they won the super bowl and that was when he was with san francisco and steve walsh um started that game but i came in at some point but i will say that's the best defense and he's the best cornerback i've ever seen so they would basically he would cover whatever whoever he wanted to cover one-on-one -on -one. And they'd roll the coverage the other way. So, and they had, and that was they were loaded everywhere on defense, everywhere. That was their that was their answer to Dallas Cowboys. Was so they stacked the deck with everybody they could find, and that's what that's the one where Steve Young threw six touchdowns against San Diego in the Super Bowl. But their their team top to bottom, they're like Dion, in my opinion was probably the best cornerback who I ever saw. Like, not probably, he was. But their whole defense, like, if you take their offense, there's not one guy in the league you take over their guy. Oh. Name a position, doesn't matter. Fullback, tight end, quarterback, running back, receiver, offensive line. Would you even want to look Dion's way, or that was um, what you wanted to see? Yeah, every now and then, you know, because one thing he didn't really do – at all really was cover anybody in the slot. So if he ever did get in there, he wasn't the Dion, he was outside. Yeah. And there was later, a little later, like, I don't know if you know this, but the, the, the draft class he came out of in 89, it was Troy Aikman first, Tony Mandrit second, and then Barry Sanders. And then uh, I think it was either Derek Brooks and Dion or vice versa. So four of those guys, four to five of those guys in the Hall of Fame. And not just in the Hall of Fame, but like Dion's, in my opinion, probably the best corner ever. Kind of like Bo Jackson, probably the best athlete ever in the history of the world. You could probably say that about Dion in terms of playing cornerback. Wow. Did you ever uh, get to see Bo Jackson in person? What can you say about just uh, his physique? No. <laughs> no, in, in uh, 1990, I was with the Lions. And we played the Raiders, only that year I wasn't playing. So, and and you remember that run he had against Seattle down the sideline where he takes a sweep and he runs out the tunnel? He goes like yeah. 80 yards with it. And he had, a, he had a run like that in that game. And so you had probably two of the best running backs in the history of the game in the same game. So, so Barry, Eric, Barry what Sanders was it like? Bad either. Yeah, I was gonna say, what was it like to hand off to Barry? You probably never knew where the hell he was going. You might have had him going wide right, and next thing you know, he's <laughs> wide left. Yeah, I saw him. Uh, you know, amongst a lot of other Hall of Fame people, make them look silly. 
So there was a time when um, we played, we were in Detroit, um, in Detroit, played in Chicago, and we only had two running plays. It was a, it was a draw or a slant. And on a draw play, Barry comes through the line, and there's Mike Singletary on the other side in this little hole. And at the end of the play, I mean, they're both in the Hall of Fame, but at the end of the play, one guy had a first down, and one guy was on the ground grabbing nothing. And, but he did that all the time. He could do that on a one-yard run. He could, he could go one on 11 and make a yard, and it'd be the greatest run ever. Or he could go 80 yards with it, flip the ball to the ref, go, go to sleep on the sidelines, so it's time to go out again. You know, some of these guys have to get a, they get a three yard first down, and it's like greatest run in history. <laughs> I saw, you know, those top 10 uh, shows, I guess it's on NFL Network sometimes, mm-hmm. I think it is. Yeah. It'd be like the top 10 um, runs of all time. And I remember one guy going on there, you know, they'll get these like comedians or whoever to go on and answer the question. And one guy goes on and he goes, you know what? You could have a, top 10 runs of all time and all of them would be Barry Sanders. Not after great. He's the best ever although, in my although, book, man. Although, oh. I'll tell you this. There was, there was a guy that played with the Lions. His name was Roman Fortin. And he played center. And um, he played a long time. I think around about 10 years. And back when Griffin was probably uh, let's see. I would have been with the Bears then. So he was probably uh, probably around seven or eight, okay? And so uh, Roman, who's from Ventura, comes over one day, and him and Griffin are getting into sort of a a friendly, what turns into a sort of an argument, but not really. And uh, Griffin's favorite player, favorite human being was Walter Payton. And they used to hang around at, at like, Walter would kind of, kind of hang out and goof off with him outside the locker room after a game. And, and so <laughs> I remember, and Roman was talking about how great Barry was. And so it was like this. And then finally Roman goes, Griffin, I'm just going to say it like this. If Walter Payton and Barry Sanders were on the same team, Walter Payton never would have saw the field. <laughs> Griffin's like, what? <laughs> But it's probably true. <laughs> That's awesome. That's a cool story. Man. Well, God, so, this has been great. Sorry, Don, I want to cut you off. No, I'm right. just going to say this may have been one of the most serious happy hours I've ever been <laughs> on. But after everything Eric has been through, that I, his face lights up when he talks about the football memories, restores some, I guess, I guess, joy to your story. So I'm happy that you have great memories of your playing time, everything that you've been through. Like I said, Tyler, thank you for sharing the story. And Eric, thank you for telling it. And Anna, thank you for helping Eric with everything that you've done. So thank you all. And thank you. Thank you, man, Don. And thanks for everybody who who took the time to read. And, you know, like Eric said, hopefully this kind of, gets things rolling you know in a positive direction the more and more the truth comes out so um that was awesome eric and anna thank, thanks so much for spending two hours happy hours we got we got plural in today so that was that was that was amazing i i can't thank you guys enough for being so honest and open with 
something so traumatic that I, I can't imagine living it. So thanks for telling your story. All right. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, everybody. Thanks Thank so you. much. See you guys. All right.